Hey there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Today, our guest is Amanda Malko, Chief Marketing Officer of G2, a business software and services review site. Amanda previously led the partner program and marketplace business at MailChimp. Before that, she served in executive leadership roles at several high-growth SaaS companies and helped build the digital agency 360i, named one of the most influential marketing firms of the 21st century by AdAge and Forbes. In our conversation today, Amanda talks about the state of software buying from SMB to enterprise. She shares fascinating data that reveals changing patterns in the way consumers purchase software, as well as the key trends for anyone refreshing their go-to-market strategy. This episode is bursting with insights. So let's head over to the studio to meet Amanda Malko. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about your career up to this point? Because you've had such an interesting journey. Yes, I have. It's been really fun and happy to. I mean, I think I've had really sort of three stages in in my career, if you will, thus far. And Mm -hmm. I actually started in sales. So it's been been a bit of a journey, but I, I started out in sales and I did that throughout college and then ended up we're joining a startup as you do and uh, <laughs> became an employee number 13 at an early stage startup and realized as a salesperson, I really needed marketing and we didn't have marketing. And so I moved into marketing and became right. a marketer and it was a great run. And two years in, we got acquired by Microsoft and little did I know that's quite an unexpected outcome in two years. And it was a really fun run. And so I got, a, I got the itch for, for really startup and, and digital marketing. And I, in my second stage, I joined a company at the time. It was a SaaS business and an agency. And we were getting into a little something called search. Right. <laughs> in the earlier days of Google. And we ended up moving into to search marketing and social marketing. And I stayed for eight years and did a lot of, wore a lot of different hats and ultimately helped run the business, running both marketing and, and helping with some of our M&A deals, as well as operations and new business. So got to do a little bit of sales there too. <laughs> and that was really fun. And so what I realized in that journey is I really have a passion and a love for helping companies adapt to change the way technology is changing the way we communicate both as people and as businesses. And so that's really been the kind of core thread ever since for me. And so in the third stage, uh, one of the things that I think is really transforming the way we connect is marketplaces. 100%. Yeah. So that's been my last five years or so. I've really been spending my time helping businesses, particularly software businesses, think about how marketplaces change the way that we that we buy software and connect with technology. So that's what led me to MailChimp, where I worked on their services marketplace. And now here at G2, where we help tens of millions of software buyers all over the world find software and, and learn how to use it successfully. And we help lots of software companies figure out how to, to grow their businesses, uh, often from very early stages. Well, I was just going to ask you there for folks who don't know, which will be in the minority listening in about what does G2 do? So G2.com, we are an online marketplace and review site that helps people discover, learn and decide on software and services that can help them with that software. So that's what we do. And then for software companies like the intercoms of the world, for example, we Mm -hmm. 
help them build their reputations. So build their reputation on G2.com and then also leverage data to really understand who are the types of customers that you should be going after who might be in market for your software. So, and I have to give a shout out to Intercom, which has thousands of reviews from very happy customers <laughs> on G2 and is a leader in, in, in our grid, including for live chat. So always great to hear. Yeah, always great to see. But I mean, it really comes from having happy customers. And then what we do is enable those customers to really speak about what they love and maybe what they want to see more of for your business. So something I wanted to talk about was spending in SaaS and how it's kind of dipped in or did dip in the first half of, of 2020 and then accelerated and increased by the end of last year. So now we're kind of halfway through 2022. What does the state of software buying from SMB to enterprise look like now? Well, it is an interesting question and <laughs> one that I expect we will see a lot of, you know, change in throughout the year uh, to this question. But coming into 2020, we did a survey of software buyers. And we also have a technology called G2 Track, which is a SaaS spend management and utilization, finance management and utilization technology. So we surveyed and then we also looked at trends that we see through G2 Track. And over half of companies uh, stated that they were going to increase software spend this year. And on average, we see that companies across all sizes on average are using over 120 different software products. And that's, you know, more than double just from a few years ago. And so wow. I think that this speaks to where we are on the kind of maturity curve of software, where there's still a tremendous amount of growth opportunity. That said, we're obviously in a really interesting and volatile market just even over the last few months. And so it'll be interesting to see how spend changes. I think though, what I would leave people with in this question, mm. software is incredibly resilient. We saw a dip in the first quarter of the pandemic in software spend, but it, within 12 months, it had rebounded and is now at higher levels than pre-pandemic. So I think as you think about the role of software, so much of it is about helping us run our businesses smarter and more efficiently. And where many businesses are still early in their digital transformation journey, where software becomes really important. So I think that you know, we might have a bumpy few months and quarters here, but I do find uh, and we see in the data that software is incredibly resilient and there's still a tremendous amount of growth ahead. I love how you talk about the, you know, the importance of software. And I think I've heard you say before that, you know, that the zeitgeist of culture is reflected in software. And um, I wonder if you could speak to that point, because I, I really think it's a, it's a great one. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I, it is not something that maybe I would have expected when I first came to G2 a little over a year ago, but I'm, you know, I'm a data geek. And so I, I said, let's look at what is, what are people searching on G2 and what can that tell us about markets you might want to invest in or companies that are growing fast? What I didn't expect is what that might tell us about our world. And when we look at the top trending categories post COVID, there are things like video conferencing, project management software, but even cryptocurrency mining was actually the number one trending search term heading out of last year. And, you know, I certainly, um, I'm still learning about cryptocurrency. I haven't quite figured mm. that one out, but apparently <laughs> yeah. a lot of other people are also trying to figure that out. And so what I really love is that, you know, software is sort of on the leading edge of change and what's happening our, in our world. And I think the data we have gives us a really unique vantage point. And the other thing I'll say is that, you know, there's a lot of interesting categories that 
are starting to emerge in software that maybe were under you know, industries that didn't historically rely on software and can really benefit from it. And so, for example, we have all kinds of categories on agriculture technology and even one of my favorites, which is amusement park design software. And so you can really go down the rabbit hole of how software can help really transform and help, you know, any industry. Well, that's, I was going to say, I mean, there's so much growth that software buying, like it's obviously going through a transformation right now. It is. It is. And I think anything that, you know, most things are going through a transformation in terms of how we buy. But I think for software in particular, there's a few reasons we see this. One is just macro trends and how people buy as people, not even just as businesses. Uh, We're all buying differently post pandemic. So when you think about what that means for anybody who's in B2B, it's more self-serve and it's less sales led and less relationship driven. Now, I'm hopeful that we're going to swing the pendulum a little bit more back to things like in-person events and being able to kind Mm. of really build those deeper relationships. But post-pandemic, there's no denying that we're relying more on self-education and digital buying than ever. And that's true in our personal and consumer lives as well as our business lives. And then I think the other two things that is, is, you know, software buying is going through in terms of its transformation is it's becoming more mature. And that means that it's more complex and there's more choices. And so as software buyers, we have a harder time really parsing out what do we need? Who can we trust? (laughs) What should I use? And so I think that that's one of the things that's giving rise to things like G2 and, you know, peer reviews and and places where you can really turn communities to help really parse out what, what should I be using and what are my peers using successfully? Yeah, absolutely. So for people who want to go to market, uh, I know you have three trends that might kind of shed light. And the first being that software buying is happening faster and becoming more frictionless. Why is that important? Yeah. You know, this one surprised me in our data because there's all this talk about, well, it's getting more complex. There's so many people (laughs) in the buying committee and process. And, you know, even using something like Intercom, you might have a whole wide range of people from marketing to IT to sales to customer success involved in this. So why is it happening faster? And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. We are seeing it's happening faster. And I think a big part of that is actually there's just the, the pace of decision-making and also self-education. So if I can go on and I can do my own homework, it's probably going to go faster for me if I can do that on my own, if mm. I can demo. And, and I think that that's part of it. And in fact, what we're seeing is 67% of companies say that they really only engage with a salesperson after they've already made a decision. And so that's kind of scary, right? When you think about our ability as marketers and as salespeople and really as businesses to, to educate and persuade our customers, we're seeing that a lot of that experience is happening before they ever talk to a human. And so how do you actually engage with them in a way that's valuable and respectful of their time and to give us, gives them a delightful experience even before they might actually engage in a phone conversation or a sales conversation, depending on how you how you market your business. So I I think that it's definitely happening faster. And part, a big part of that is how much self-education is happening on the buyer side. I mean, and and buyers like making their decisions faster. It's just kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I think that it is surprising. And we thought, well, okay, maybe that's, 
maybe that's only certain types of businesses. But even enterprise companies said they're making their decisions faster and that, you know, a software decision of $20,000 they could make in, you know, three months or less. Just as an, an example of one of the, the types of purchases, and, and we sort of said, based on this, how much you spend, how long would it take you to make this decision? And so, you know, 100000 or more, and they're saying, six months at the most is what I need to make that decision. And historically, we might have thought, well, in many businesses that are six-figure software purchases, you could take upwards of a year or more, and we're seeing that that's not the case. I think another thing that's making it faster is, there is more product-led growth if to use an industry yes. buzzword. But, <laughs> but part of that is the ability to try before you buy. And so what does that point of purchase look like? It's changing. You might have a trial. You might have the ability to try it. And then so that, that sort of helps you get over some of the trust hurdle that you might have otherwise had. And then when you go to buy, we're actually seeing credit cards being a, a big part of that purchase experience, including for enterprise, again, surprised us. And it does depend on the value, you know, the average value of the agreement, but over half of buyers are saying 53% say, I actually most often use a credit card when I'm purchasing software. And so that's, you know, the continued, we'll call it consumerization of some of our B2B decisions, including in software. And it's the whole kind of going to like test drive a car before you buy it kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And actually, so I'll tell, I'll tell the story of a decision I had to go during the pandemic, I went to go buy a car because I had a baby during the pandemic and car seats are huge. Uh, yes. And I realized my car was way too small for, for <laughs> even, you know, one kid in one car seat. So I had this experience that really reminded me of what it's kind of like to be marketing software these days, which I had two very different experiences. On the one hand, I was trying to do all my research online. And of course, I narrowed it down very similar to what we're saying in software. I knew what I wanted, or at least so I thought before I reached out to the dealership. And the first dealership I reached out to, I filled out the form. Think of it as our demo request form, if you mm-hmm. will. <laughs> I, one of them had chat, right? And I'm chatting with the dealer and I'm setting up the appointment. And I go down and I drive down. And I was routed to the wrong dealership. So the appointment that I was supposed uh, to have was actually at a dealership 45 minutes away. And I was uh, like, I'm not no. driving to that dealership. And so, and they didn't have any of the cars that I wanted to see. So I was very, very frustrated. And I thought, well, that's not a delightful experience mm. at all. And then I go over and I go to this other dealership and I said, I'm just going to walk in. And, and I had narrowed it down to two brands. So that brand not getting my business and going down to this other dealership down the road. And I'm just going to walk in and see what happens. I don't have an appointment. And they had the car that I wanted literally sitting in the lobby. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is, I mean, it was of course the top of the line model. And I did not know that I needed the top of the line model. more. <laughs> I was looking to buy, but they were like, you know, why don't you take it for a test drive? So we get in the car And it has all these bells and whistles. It has something, I don't know if in my head, they called it disco lights, you know, when there's like lights that change colors. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like something I need. But of course they were like, well, you know, your son's probably going to really enjoy this. And like, at the end of the day, I'm like, they're selling me all this, these things that I didn't even know I needed. But by the end I was like, well, this is the car for me. And of course I'm going to get all the bells and whistles to go along with it. And it was such a delightful experience that I was willing to pay more, right? And so I think when you think about not just the speed, but the quality of our decision-making, so much of it does come from, can we let people put their hands on the wheel? Can we reduce the time 
to being able to feel confident and understanding our products and our, and can we help create trust really from that first moment that they're connecting with you, whether that's a person or through your product or through your website experience, how can we make that more delightful and human? And I just think the car buying process is such an interesting kind of juxtaposition to that because I truly had both of those experiences <laughs> on a one day and it was just, you know, in B2B, you could be the car dealership that routed me to the wrong place and had no cars, or you could be the one who just said, well, here, we'll let you take it for a trust drive right away. Uh, exactly. No way, right. Be the, be the car dealership with the disco lights. You want to be the car dealership with the disco lights. Yeah. <laughs> Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. The second trend that you know, you've spoken about is that like building trust is more essential, but it's harder than ever. And I know that that's a big hurdle to overcome. Where do you start? Yeah, I think the, the first place you start is with your existing customers. Because... One of the things that we see in our in the data, and I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about this around retention, which is also harder. But if you've got customers that are happy and growing with you, they will help you form trust with new customers as well. And so I think a lot of times we think about customer marketing or really leaning into voice of the customer is something we do for our existing customer base. And while that's true, they can also help create an element of trust and really carry that forward for new customers considering you as well. And so we see that, you know, really it's trust is harder in part, not because we don't have the elements to building it, but because Mm -hmm. as buyers, we're looking at sort of different, more sources than ever to really form a picture about companies. And that's true in consumer behavior as well as in B2B behavior. So as an example, when we say, uh, when we asked in the survey, what do you trust the most when you're making decisions? Everybody has a different answer. A small number saying, yes, I still trust the analyst. 
Some people say, you know, about 35, 38% say, depending on the segment of, of the business, I trust your website. It's not mm. any one thing. And so what it means is people are looking at many things and sort of triangulating trust across different sources. What does your website say? What do the analysts say? What do my peers say? Mm. And we do see that the peer reviews and peer feedback is one of the most prevalent sources. Almost everybody is looking at that. And 86% are saying, I'm really looking at peer review sites when I'm buying software to feel more confident. Yeah. So it's really prevalent. Now on the flip side, as marketers, that doesn't mean that we can just have a great reputation and leverage (laughs) you and be done. I think that's the thing that makes it so tough is that it's so critical that we have a great presence on peer review sites as marketers, but we also have to make sure that we have a great voice and trusted content across all of the other places where buyers are looking. And if we can lean into our customers and our customer reviews and feedback and make sure that it shows up in all those places too, whether that's on the website or, you know, in other sources where buyers might be looking in your category, that's so, so critical. So it's harder because uh, we're all looking in more places than ever before to sort of see yeah. and get a broader picture uh, of businesses. And I mean, that was true in my car buying experience too. I didn't look at just, you know, the review sites. I sort of, you know, went down their website. I went down some of the more like, you know, the analysts in the car buying space. What are they saying? <laughs> I talked to friends, you know, I even, somebody had the car on the street and I was like, can I talk to you? What do you think about that? <laughs> it's very, very similar. Yeah, we. I think it's just the way we we do this now. I mean, I, I would do that for you know books or you know anything I'm buying now. I'm I'm really doing you know a variety of kind of you know checking up on it. But like you say, so the you mentioned retention there, and that's the third trend. And I, I suppose more than ever, retention is the foundation for growth. So I suppose like are the kind of expectations for software companies higher than ever in this regard? For better or worse, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's what you see as a category or a business, any industry as it matures, the expectations certainly rise. And so that does kind of lead to trust being harder, but also retaining our customers. There's more companies that are vying for their attention and for their dollars. And I do think that as businesses grow, you know, you want to make sure you don't have a leaky bucket. And so a lot of times we focus on growth, 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 but a big part of that is shoring up our foundation, making sure that we're able to retain and grow the customers we do have. And so what we see is that, you know, companies that lean into customer marketing, that lean into helping retain their existing customers, create a stronger foundation for new business and for their future. As it relates to expectations, one of the things that stood out in the survey is we asked, uh, we have a very long list of criteria that you might, very common things, things like integrations, return on investment, Mm -hmm. ability to scale, quality of customer support. And we say, uh, buyers, what is what of these are most important to you and rank them? And everybody said all of these are important to very important across the spectrum. Mm. I think out of the 12 were very important to important. And return on investment, 81% of respondents said, I need to see that in six months. Wow. 81% said, I expect to see a return on my software investment in six months. And many, especially in enterprise, you might be integrating the technology for several months or more, let alone to have an ROI within that timeframe. So the bar is exceptionally high. And in some cases, I would say probably not realistic, depending on what you're purchasing. 
and everything kind of matters. And so I think that creates more of a need than ever to really lean into your customer success, your experience when you're onboarding a customer and how you're thinking about marketing to your customers to keep Mm. them happy and growing (laughs) over time. Now, the good news is, because we talked about building trust is hard when you got your customer's trust, they want to stay with you. And so yes. one of three buyers prefers to buy complementary products from the same company. And so this gives you a tremendous opportunity to lean into expansion once you've got customers who are happy. It makes me think that in the car buying experience, maybe they should they should be calling, they're probably going to be calling me with some sort of new disco light package. <laughs> you know, if, so, you know, think about that once you yeah. won the trust. If I really like the experience, I'm going to be more likely to say, what else might I be using from this company? Because I, I've cemented my trust in them. Yeah, absolutely. And like, does customer growth feed retention in the long term? Or how does it, I, I should say? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think so. it absolutely does. And it does in a couple of ways. The first one is it gives you that solid foundation. In a former life, you know, between stints, I would do, I consulted a number of software businesses and they would be very focused on acquisition. And you say, okay, well, let's, let's look at your retention numbers. And you say, okay, well, if you're not retaining and growing your existing customers, you literally have this leaky bucket. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you want to make sure you know, retention does feed growth in the most basic way because you can't grow if you're constantly trying to replenish because you're losing customers or, you know. The second way is if you treat your customers as your best marketing partners, if they're happy and you can lean into elevating their success stories, making them champions for your category, (laughs) certainly through reviews, they're going to help you form trust with new customers as well. And so it really is core to how you can create that stable foundation for your revenue, but also how you can continue to attract more of the same types of customers who are going to be happy and grow with you. Just before we wrap up, just as as a kind of a curveball, I suppose, it's Pride Month at the moment. And as a leader, I'd love to hear your thoughts on allyship. Oh, I love that you asked this question. <laughs> so I, uh, my thoughts on allyship, I think allyship is so important. And I think a big part of it is just championing things that you believe in as a leader and giving your team space to show up as their full selves and make space for these important causes. And it's, it's one that actually is very important to me and my family, actually. And so I am delighted that at G2, we're celebrating all month. We have a lot of initiatives, both internally and externally, to celebrate Pride Month. And one of those is that we're partnering with an organization called Outright Action International. They fight for human rights for LGBTQ people all around the world. And we're actually going to be, as part of our G2 Gives initiative, donating to Outreach International for every software review submitted in the month of June. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, so we um, G2 Gives is our, our charitable cause here at G2, where we have 11 pillar organizations that we actually uh, support throughout the year. And if you leave a review on G2, we'll actually donate to those throughout the year. So if it's all right, I'd like to plug yeah. Gives initiative. Um, <laughs> and you can actually go there, go g2.com slash g2gives. And you can learn more about it and uh, hopefully leave a review to support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll put the link for it in the blog post to go along with this uh, episode. So you'll find it there as well. And then just what's next? I mean, have you any big plans or projects for the rest of the year? 
Of course, always. I think you know we will be doing another software buyer behavior report released this fall. It's scheduled for September, so lots to come. This is going to be an interesting year for our industry, so we'll see what comes. And you know, we've we've got some exciting things. G two has a lot of data. We talked about it here. We've got an exciting product launch later this year that'll help hopefully many many marketers and others in the software industry better understand what's happening in the space with data from G two at your fingertips. So more to come there. Excellent. We'll keep an eye out. And then just lastly, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? G2.com. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. And then we're on Twitter and LinkedIn and it's actually, you can spell it out. G2.com. D-O-T-C-O-M. So uh, perfect. keep up with <laughs> us there. And then I'm just Amanda Malco on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Brilliant. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. It's been lovely to chat with you today. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Amanda Malco. And as Amanda said, if you'd like to support their G2 Gives campaign, all you have to do is click the link in our show notes. That goes to a page where you can write a review of the software and services you use. For every review, G2 will donate $10 to Outright Action International in the month of June. And if you'd like to hear more about the importance of allyship, check out last week's episode of Inside Intercom. We had some really useful discussion on that topic. That episode is also linked in the show notes. Okay, that's it for today. I'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.